Well, my family and I had uh, the joy to travel a little bit recently. We were on the East Coast uh, seeing family where we're from. And uh, with my own family, we had a little bit of a family reunion. My two older brothers were in town. One lives there. uh, The other one lives out of town. So we were all there together uh, with my folks. And uh, we had a a great meal together, pleasant, sitting with my parents, enjoying one another's company. The kids ran off and were playing in the other room. And my brothers and I had the chance to sit with my parents and talk about What does kind of the end of life look like? You know, my dad uh, is turning 70 this year. Uh, I think he's kind of excited about that. And we're thinking, you know, 20 years out, what what kind of plans can we be making to care for our parents? What are their desires? And to hear my father even walk through his own desires of what he would see happening in, in the lives of our family, in his own life as he comes to the end of his life of what would happen with the property with the house and and with finances, the inheritance. And for some of you, that probably stresses you out to think about sitting down with your parents and having that conversation, right? But in God's kindness, we had a very pleasant and enjoyable conversation. And it was a joy to hear my dad's plans and his hopes. You know, and, and that's really all we can do, right, is to make plans about what might happen. What might happen over the next 20 years? What might happen with my parents' uh, physical assets and how they might distribute those to the children. Great plans. But I can't guarantee that those things would happen. We all make plans in hope of what might happen with what we have, and yet none of us can force and make those things happen. Sometimes our plans go off the rails. They change. And yet those unexpected changes in our plans can be some of the greatest opportunities for us as Christians to display where does our faith and our hope really lie? Is it in the plans that we made as if that's what life is all about? Or should our faith and our hope be in something else? This morning, there is one idea that I want us to get across and to think about and to kind of work on this week. We're going to put it on the screen. Our faith in God is displayed when we submit our desires to God's plan. Our faith in God is displayed when we submit our desires to God's plan. Because for us as Christians, we recognize life doesn't always go as planned. So what are we going to do when our desires aren't met? Well, we have been covering the stories of the saints listed in Hebrews 11, the saints who were recognized as ones who had great faith. Over the last month, we've been able to think about Abraham and Sarah and their faith in their long-desired son, Isaac. We've been able to think about Abraham's testing from God as he grew in his faith and trust in God with the potential sacrifice of his own son, Isaac. And today, we're going to get to think about Isaac, this promised son, and him in his later years, and a testing that comes up for him as Isaac deals with his two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we're going to see drama unfold in how Isaac gives God's blessing to one son and not the other. And let me give you fair warning, this will not be a simple an uneventful story of a family sitting down at dinner discussing future plans. It gets a little chaotic. And yet I trust, even in this story, we're going to see for our own lives what it means to display our faith in God. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis 27 and 28, where this story takes place. We have a lot of text to cover here this morning. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 21 And in this text, we are going to see a wonderful story. My desire is for us to follow this story. So I'm going to have four points, and all we're going to do is follow the storyline, all right? We are going to look at the plot here at the very beginning, which shows us the setting, and then we're going to see the crisis, we're going to see the climax, and then we're going to see the resolution. All right, I'll do my best to point out these sections as we go through this text. We have a lot of text to read, which I'm very excited about. 
And we will settle into this story of Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and their two sons. So let's start with our first point, the setting, the desired plan. Isaac had a desired plan. Follow along with me in Genesis 27. We're going to look at the first four verses. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out into the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Here we see that Isaac is at the end of his life and he is getting to the point of thinking about how do I hand off this blessing to my son? How do I pass on this blessing that I've been given to this son of mine, Esau? All right. In case you were wondering, blessing is going to be the main idea of this text that we're going to see over and over again. This word for blessing is used 25 times in 51 verses, all right? It is used a lot because it's really significant that Isaac would be giving this blessing before his death to his son Esau. Now, in the ancient Near East, this was very common for the father, to give the blessing, to give things to the oldest son. And often it is done with a great party and rejoicing, bringing in the family to say, here is what is given to my children and the excitement of what is passed on to the next generation. So why wasn't Isaac throwing a huge party? Why is he telling his oldest son to go out and fix him a meal that he loves so much and bring it back and he will give him a blessing? Well, it requires a little bit of context, because God had actually made a promise to Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Turn with me just back, presumably one page, to the end of Genesis 25. I want us to see the two sons that are given to this couple. Look at Genesis 25 and verse 23 as the Lord speaks to Rebecca about the twins that are in her belly says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Here's a promise from the Lord himself to Isaac and Rebekah that these twins would be born, and yet the younger is going to rule over the older. The order would be flipped. So Isaac and Rebekah were well aware of this. But here's the difficulty. Look down in that text there in 25, chapter 25, and look at verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. See, here we're given the insight that Isaac, though we're told, you know, we should never have a favorite son. Oh, he clearly did, Right? He loved Esau. Why? Because he desired these meals, this this game, this wild game, this meat that he could eat. And his son could deliver. Oh, he loved his son Esau. And so, back in Genesis 27, we find Isaac living this out, even in his latter years, to say, son that I love so much, go get that meal that I desire. Because I want to give you a blessing. This was his favorite son. And yet, this is not the promise that God gave to Isaac. This promise from God that the younger would serve the older was going to be a problem for Isaac because he loved Esau. And in this very moment, Isaac's plan was to go against God's plan. And to give this blessing to his oldest son, Esau. The blessing that was supposed to go to Jacob. However, mom is listening. Let's look at point two. The conflict. 
the unexpected outcome. Follow along with me. We're going to read a larger section, verses 5 through 29. Now, Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me. Then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother. And his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part on his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, My father! And he answered, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? And he replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac, and when he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. And he said, Bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him, and he ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please, come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. And so we see in this conflict an outcome that was quite unexpected. Rebecca hears Isaac's plan and goes to her favorite son Jacob and tells him what her plan is the one that can go contrary to her husband's. She would fix this, even if dad doesn't like it. All right, quick side note, parentheses, husbands, I'm not going to run down this rabbit trail. I'm going to state this once. Guys, maybe if we followed God's plan and obeyed him, it would be much easier for our wives not to be tempted to deceive us. All right? Keep thinking on that, brothers. Keep thinking on that. Let's love our wives well and how we follow God's instruction. And here we actually see Jacob doesn't necessarily agree with his mom's plan, right? He's a little concerned, all right? If dad figures out that this is me, I'm going to get a curse, right? The exact opposite of what we're going for here, right? And yet, what does his mother say? Let your curse be on me. Just obey me. Here is Rebecca's love displayed for her son that she is willing to take the chance of receiving a curse to promote him into this role of receiving the blessing. And so Jacob listens to his mom. He goes through with this plan. He puts the skins on and he deceives his father. He lies to him multiple times. Isaac, in his blindness, can only rely on his sense of smell 
and hearing and feeling. And through this trickery, he is deceived. We are meant to feel the tension of this story, of what's going to happen. Will Jacob receive the blessing? I want you to recognize that Jacob stands and he waits and he continues to serve his father, even though we're told several times, Isaac blessed Jacob. He gave him a blessing. And yet, Jacob is waiting around. Why? Notice that Jacob is waiting for something specific in this blessing. And it tells us the significance of this blessing. All right, in verses 27, 28, and 29, Isaac finally gives this blessing in full. And what does he say? Yes, may God give to you dew of the sky, riches of the land, the abundance of grain, and new wine, all right? This, this blessing of land and prosperity, of wealth. But also in 29, may people serve you and nations bow down to you. May you have authority in your own family. Right here we see authority within the family, a great nation, honor that is given to the one who receives this blessing. And yet, I want to highlight the significance of the last two phrases of this blessing. This is what Jacob was waiting for. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. For those of you that find yourselves studying God's Word quite a bit, and, and these words hopefully are standing out to you, to say, ah, I've, I've heard this language used before. And that language is used for those who came before Jacob and those who came before Isaac to Abraham himself, that God promised to his people, you are my people, and those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. See, the the blessing that Jacob was waiting for was not just some ordinary, God be with you and I hope it goes well. No, this was a handing down of the blessing from God himself that God had promised for his people. And the father is handing this to his son to say, God will bless you in this way because he has promised to do so. He will root you and plant you as a people. He will give you authority and power and honor. He will make you a great nation, and those who curse you, they will be cursed. But those who bless you and recognize you as God's people, oh, they will be blessed. See, this is a significant blessing. This is something that God himself had given to mankind, to a particular people, through the line of Abraham, handed down to Isaac, and now given to Jacob. This is what Jacob desired. And this is what Jacob surely must have had some idea through his mother. This had been promised to Isaac and Rebekah, that the younger would rule over the older. And so in this conflict, we see things don't go according to plan for Isaac. He gives the fullest blessing to Jacob and has no idea, thinking he has blessed the older son, Esau. This is not at all what he desired to happen. My guess is some of us can relate quite well. We have great desires in this life of what we think should be accomplished, of what God will do or should do. We make great plans for the future, and don't get me wrong, Right? I'm a big planner. I love plans. All right? I like things to go according to plan. I think we should plan. But some of us have had those plans fall apart and unravel. I wonder for you, are your plans, as far as you can assess, within God's will for his children? Are your plans, as far as you know, as you assess what God has given you in life and what you desire to do, are those things in line with what God has said he will give his people, what he's going to accomplish for his children? Because God doesn't promise for us that we'd have great wealth in this life. 
And so maybe wealth is your goal. Perhaps it's, it's success and popularity. And yet God hasn't promised that for his children either. Perhaps for you, you just plan, let's just have a nice, easy, quiet life. No bumps, please. God doesn't promise that to us either. God promises that he will be with us and he will keep us. and He will give us all that we need. He doesn't promise a life without struggle and without hardship. And so I wonder what comfortable plans you have planned for your life and how strongly you're holding on to them. Some of you have already seen your plans and your desires in this life come unraveled and come to an end. They have not been granted to you. And you wonder every day, what is God doing? I just want to ask questions to help you start thinking about this. Are your expectations and desires unmet? And you feel like you're lacking purpose, direction, guidance in in what life is about. Some of you in here might desire to be married, and yet God has not granted that. Some of you desire to have children, and yet God has not granted that. Some of you have had kids, and you desire for your kids to come to a knowledge of the gospel and to be saved, and yet God has not granted that. You might be sitting here just thinking, I desire just to be healthy and to be well and and to have life go smoothly, and yet God has not granted that to you. You might have desired for your life to turn out very differently than what it is like right now. And I mourn with you. I'm sad for you and with you. Because like you, I desire that my life would be smooth and comfortable and easy and without bumps and according to my plan. But that's not how life goes. And I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for me. Because I want life to go easier. And so I'm not going to sit here and promise you that life's easier because you became a Christian. And I want us to be settled with the fact that we need to be prepared for our plans to be changed, for life to go differently than we expect. Because we can make great plans, but there will inevitably be unexpected outcomes. God does not promise to give us everything that we want. But maybe you've made plans and God has allowed unexpected circumstances. How are you going to respond? Well, that's what our text is going to help us answer. Isaac expected that he would be giving the blessing to his oldest son Esau, contrary to what God had said. He's about to find out that didn't happen. How is Isaac going to respond? Let's look at point three. The display of faith. Here we see the climax of this story. The display of faith in verses 30 to 40. Follow along as I read. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it, out, uh, brought it to his father. He said to his father, Let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he, Esau, said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look, now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I have made him a master over you, 
have given him all of his relatives as his servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Clearly, things did not go as Isaac planned. He finds out that he had been duped by his son. Oh, he is distraught and surprised that Esau now arrives to receive his blessing And it has already been given. And so Esau pleads with tears, crying out that his father would give him a blessing. Is there no other blessing that could be given to him? We see even that that Esau's angst is even increased as he recognizes that not only was that blessing gone, but also a birthright. Earlier in chapter 25, we didn't look at this text, but those of you who are familiar with the story will remember that when they were younger, Isaac and Esau had this little debate on Esau was really hungry for some stew. He'd been tired, out working. He needed something, and Jacob had it. And Esau foolishly said, you can have my birthright. You can have my right to authority and wealth in this family, and I will give up that right. Jacob had already stolen that from Esau. And now in this text, Esau recognizing not only that very earthly, tangible thing of the inheritance passed down to me, but now God's blessing on our family line has been taken from me through this deceiver, this one who cheats. Esau had already foolishly rejected his birthright, and now he suffers the rejection of not being the one who carries on God's blessing, the family line. And he is rightly devastated and is asking his father, do you not have a blessing for me? And here, congregation, is where we see a display of Isaac's faith. See, Isaac doesn't try to retract the blessing and say, all right, let's go figure this out. Or maybe if your brother Jacob didn't exist anymore, I could give that blessing to you. No, what does he say? Look, I have made him master over you and given him all of his relatives as servants and has sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you? I have given the blessing to whom I have given the blessing, and that is it. The younger son would rule over the older son. The lineage of God's people would continue through Jacob, and Isaac has confirmed that. And here is affirming that in a display of faith to say, nope, what is done is done. God has moved. And so God's providential plan had been worked out, and Isaac has only one way to respond. In faith to what God has done. To affirm what has been done. Now, Isaac gives somewhat of a blessing to his son Esau. I don't know that it was particularly encouraging to him, but here to say there is a dwelling place for you, and it will not be with riches, it will not be in comfort. You will be away from this family and away from prosperity, and your life will be a struggle. You will live by the sword. But there's one shred of hope, that when you rebel, you will break free of your brother's rule. This blessing comes with lots of cues that perhaps this is more of a curse than a blessing. Isaac has to deliver this curse to his favorite son, Esau. No doubt breaking his heart, destroying his affections, messing with him in a way that he had not planned on. And yet God's providential plan had now been worked out. 
Esau's life would be difficult and his line would be away from God's line. Isaac displays faith by confirming this blessing on his son, Jacob. But I want us to see that it doesn't end here, but his faith continues to be displayed in the resolution. Point four, the resolution, the submission to God's plan. Let's look at Isaac's faith here in verses 41 through chapter 28, verse 5. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Uh, Not surprising, right? Um, Because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick of my life because of these Hittite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here, like these Hittite girls, what good is my life? So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Padam Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Here we see Isaac's display of faith that he submits to God's plan. Esau, not surprisingly, is very upset and and swears, when dad passes away, I'm going to hunt down my little brother and I'm going to kill him, all right? Now, we might hear small children say that, and it's funny. This is not funny, right? He means this. He's an adult, and he is angry. And so when mom hears about this, she runs to the younger brother, Jacob, and says, you have to flee to preserve your life. I can't bear you getting murdered and my older son being condemned for your murder, it'd be better that you go away. And so she comes up with this other plan to go to Isaac and to say, Isaac, we need our son to go marry in our line. And Isaac agrees. Now what's interesting is this is something that Isaac should have done long ago. Because part of the story that we're not reading is right before this text at the very end of chapter 26. Esau married two Canaanite women. And that text says it created misery for their family. See, Isaac did not send Esau out to marry within the family line as perhaps he should have. He let him marry pagan women. Rebecca here, in her wisdom, says, send our son to go marry within our line, to continue on our family line. This is what should have been done for the oldest son and was not. And here we see Rebecca receiving the consequences of even her own decision to manipulate this situation. What does it cost her? It costs her her favorite son. She's going to send him off. And you know what? Rebecca is never going to see Jacob again. There are even consequences for Rebecca in this plan. And so Isaac summons his son Jacob, and here we see his submission to God's plan, because what does he do? He doesn't just say, hey, good luck, man. I hope you find a good girl. God bless you. No, here we see the fullness of the blessing that is affirmed and given. In verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of who? Abraham, 
so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. As if it wasn't clearer earlier, the blessing that Isaac was giving to his son Jacob was this blessing, the one passed down from God himself to the father Abraham, given to Isaac and now given to Jacob. Isaac has now submitted himself to God's plan, saying, yes, go and marry within the family, carry on the lineage, and may God's blessing from Abraham be on you. He submits himself to what God was working out. There was no going back at this point. He was sending Jacob out to carry on the family line. I wonder what you think about this story, right? It's a little crazy. All right, it's a little wild. It's a little different. Two parents that have some clear dysfunction. Two sons that have some very clear dysfunction. One dad who's trying to make something happen that God said, we're going to do something else. And his unwillingness to submit to that plan, and yet a mother and a son who deceive the father to get what should have happened in the first place a son who's swearing to go kill his brother. And in the end, a son that gets sent off to never see his family again. What a messed up story, right? Surely this wasn't according to God's plan, right? Now, I can't answer much to the wild dynamic of this family and say this is why Rebecca's this way and Isaac's this way and Jacob and Esau... But I assume many of you are thinking, if you haven't already said under your breath, how is this God's plan? Why? Why did he choose Jacob? I mean, let's be honest, neither kid seems great, so like, why choose either of them? But why choose Jacob? This is, my friends, the mystery of God's plan. His choice and how he carries out his people. And this should not be surprising to us because this is not out of the ordinary for God even at this point in the story in Genesis. We're early on in the scriptures, and yet we, had we read from Genesis 1 up to this point, we would find out the oldest son is not often the one who carries on the family name. We can start with Adam and Eve. Their oldest son, Cain, murdered the middle son, and Seth carried on the line. We could talk about Noah and his sons. I mean, we could talk about Isaac himself. The father in this story, he wasn't the firstborn. It was Ishmael. And yet Isaac carries on the line, and now we see Jacob. And what we're going to find out in later stories is that Jacob himself doesn't give the blessing to the oldest son. It goes to another son. And it starts to remind us that God doesn't do things our way, in the ways that we think make sense. We should not be surprised by this at all. God doesn't always go along with our plans or what makes sense to us. He doesn't do things the way mankind thinks things should be done. And in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, the Apostle Paul talks about even God's plan related to us. He has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It's not exactly what we would choose. And yet God's plan is to use the weak and the foolish in this world to glorify his own plan, that he has saved some by his grace and his mercy, not by our own strength. And so you might sit here this morning and you've heard a lot about God's plan. You've heard people talk about Jesus and salvation and a way of salvation. And you might say, really, is this God's plan? Is this what I really need to submit to? Friends, there is only one plan that God has given to us. We are people who are desperately in need of salvation. We are broken sinners who are broken in a relationship with him, and we need that relationship restored to be with the God of the universe, and yet we all recognize in and of ourselves we are not good enough to stand before a holy God. 
And so you might want there to be some self-justifying way to earn salvation. You might want there to be some self-satisfying, I did it my way, I found my own way to God religion. And yet God has said, that is not my plan. Now God's plan to save his people was to send a distant relative of Jacob's in this family line of really messed up people, a son. A son who did not look like what anyone was hoping for in the Messiah. He didn't come in wielding a sword, riding on his great white horse, ready to conquer all. No, he was meek and humble. He was quiet sometimes. He was a servant. This son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life because not only was he a son of man, he was a son of God. Fully man, fully God. And Jesus Christ accomplished what you and I cannot accomplish for ourselves. He lived life perfectly. And yet this servant died on the cross for sins that he did not commit. And he paid the penalty, death, for you and I, for our sins, when he died on the cross. And he rose from the dead, showing that he conquered death, he had conquered sin, and he ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father. This is Jesus Christ. This was God's plan of salvation. It was a humble, meek man who didn't deserve to die would get killed on a cross for you and me. Because we can't earn salvation in and of ourselves. Perfect God-man would die for our sins. And all we need to do is respond in faith that this is God's plan. In repentance of sin to say, I can't live a perfect life. God's path to eternal blessing isn't exactly what you and I would plan or expect. It is through a humble man who died an undeserved death on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. This is the message of the gospel. This is God's plan of salvation and God's plan for blessing for you and I. And if you've never put your faith in God, in Jesus Christ for salvation... Friends, today is the day to put your faith in him, to repent of sin and to confess with your own mouth, I believe that there is a plan different than what I expected and what I want in this life, to trust in him for salvation. Would you put your faith and your trust in him and not your own plan? Our own plan is guaranteed to fail because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. And so if you've never trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've been pushing against God's plan saying, I can figure out my own way, let me encourage you, talk to somebody around you, come talk to me after the service. We want to talk to you about what it looks like to put your faith in Christ and how that transforms everything in this life of conflict. But to those of you who have trusted in Christ, let me take just a few minutes here at the end to challenge you. And what does your faith mean? What does it mean to have faith in God, to display your faith when life doesn't go as planned? Faith is believing that God has a plan even when that plan looks different than what you expected. When you can't possibly see that this is going to work out and go any way good. Faith means that I can trust in God, in His plan, even if I don't know all the details. Some of us display more faith in computer repairmen, in mechanics, in doctors, than we do in God. Because we don't know, right? I don't have a clue how to fix a computer, so I'm just going to give it to someone else to fix. And I'll trust him. I'm sure it works. It's great. I'll give him some money, too. I don't know everything about medication. I'll just take whatever the doctor gives me. I know some of you would push against that, all right? So we'll have that conversation later. But the point stands, you and I are very quick to trust people in this life with major decisions or needs in my own life, and yet I struggle to trust God. And so faith means when I trust in God's plan of salvation, it changes 
the way that the rest of life is lived. Because that faith is now lived out in every other situation where I can say, if I can trust God for my eternal well-being, I can trust God for my present well-being. And though I might be dissatisfied with the plan that is happening now, I can trust that he will work out his purposes in my life because he has promised to do so. And so I wonder, how are you displaying your faith in the midst of desires that have gone awry? When you say, I desire for this to happen in my life and it's not working, how are you displaying your faith in God? Well, I believe that God gives us these types of changes in our life so that we can greater display our faith. And so in many ways, I want to challenge you that the changes and difficulties in your life are a sweet blessing for you to display your faith in who God is and what he has done. To challenge those who know nothing of what faith looks like, to encourage those who know what faith should look like. And so youth, I want to challenge you and encourage you, the younger of our congregation. You guys get a great chance to display this to the rest of us. Look, I, I don't know what cool plans you have worked out in your life. You know, I, I don't know if you want to be an astronaut or fireman or something awesome. The reality is that plan might change, and you don't know how. So plan, work hard towards what is God going to do in my life? What, what has God gifted me towards, and what am I skilled at, and what can I pursue? But can you hold that plan loosely? And to say, God, whatever you do in my life, I want to display faith that I trust in you more than I trust in my own plan. Can you hold your plans loosely and seek God's guidance? It will be a display to all the adults around you and all the older folks around you of what it looks like to trust God even when life isn't going the way you've wanted it to go or planned on it going. You learn this lesson now, it will help you weather those changes in life. For those of you in this room that I've already referenced in this sermon earlier, of those who are unmarried and childless, those who are sick, life doesn't look like what you planned on. Would you stop and, and think and rest? What moment has God given to you to display your faith to other Christians and to the watching world. I mourn that you are in such a difficult situation in life and frustration in life. I mourn and weep over the pain and suffering that you experience. Friends, this is where faith becomes fully rooted in our hearts and displayed to the world when we can trust God more than we can trust our own plans. When we can rejoice that God allows changes that I don't always understand, but I can trust that it's for my good. And so how does your faith in God's providence inform your current life circumstance? I know it is really difficult in those moments of suffering, and frustration, but to see those moments as a joy for us to see how God works. To say, God, I don't know exactly what your plan is, but I am excited to see how you work. God, would you sustain me through this? That my faith and my trust in you would be on display. And there's some of you in this room who can say, Mark, I, I don't necessarily know exactly what you're talking about. My life's been pretty easy. Things have gone well. They've gone according to plan. Well, praise God that your life is going according to your plan. And yet let me encourage you that you're the one that many of us need to come to and rest in to say, remind me of what my faith should look like. Brothers and sisters, if life is going according to plan, don't take that lightly. Grow in your faith. Rest in God. Rejoice in his kindness to you. It will help prepare you for life's unexpected changes whenever they may arise. Don't take your circumstances lightly, but take them seriously that God has been very good to you. 
and you can grow in your faith in him as you study his word and worship with God's people. And so, friends, for all of us, we don't live dependent on having our desires and our plans met in this life. We live by faith dependent on all that God has given to us in this life and in Christ Jesus himself. Isaac had to grapple with God's plan, right? It wasn't exactly what he wanted. He was unwilling to accept it at first, and yet we see he responded in faith. And so I wonder how you're responding to what God is doing in your life. Are you submitting your desires to God's plan and showcasing your faith to the watching world? Many of us in this congregation face a lot of frustrations in life, and we chafe against those things, and we wish that life circumstances were different, and yet what would it look like for us to change our perspective and to say, how can we live out our faith to one another and encourage one another to build one another up, to remind each other what does faith in God look like? Not because everything is great in life, but actually because life is difficult and hard. This is my opportunity to display to my fellow Christians what faith looks like. And we get to walk with one another in community and love for one another. So friends, don't struggle alone. Don't be frustrated alone. Walk with other Christians in this room who face the same struggles and frustrations. Those who maybe have already gone past them and have been settled in their own hearts and their faith. Friends, you are not the only one grappling with God's plan at work in your life. And so tell someone else this week. Find someone that you can talk to and say, this is where I struggle in my life. Would you walk with me? Remind me of the faith I should have. And so we find great joy in our church community to walk with one another, to enjoy one another's company in the midst of difficulties. And we come to a text like this today and look at Isaac's struggle with God's plan and say, what does it look like for my faith to be displayed? When my desires aren't met, and I can submit myself to God's plan. Friends, we go out this week with fellow Christians in the eyes of the watching world to display that our faith in God is seen best when we submit our desires to God's plan. Would you join me in prayer? God, we come before you with humble hearts this morning. We desire to see your work in us and through us. And we realize that's not always going to look the way that we want it to, the way that we hope. God, would you give us grace to come before your throne, to lay aside our preferences and our ideals, and to seek your providence and your guidance and your care. Lord, that we would hold loosely what we want to accomplish in this life and rejoice greatly in all that you accomplish in this life. And that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ would strengthen us for every trial and circumstance that you allow. That we rejoice in your kindness to call us as your children. And so, Lord, may we live by faith this week for our good and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.